Holy Spirit, may your word alone be spoken and heard through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. I am the bread of life. What does that mean? What is your favorite meal? For some, it is breakfast. For the children here, for a lot of children, it's pizza. (laughs) For others, it would be Thanksgiving dinner, the turkey and gravy and all the fixings, or maybe a barbecue outside. Food is delicious and good for us, especially when we sit down for a meal with people we love and who love us and have good manners. In ancient Israel, the Hebrew people often imagined the wonderful days when they would celebrate and enjoy a festive banquet with God and the Messiah. The Passover meal is a special family meal when the family remembers the exodus and the miracles of God's favor to Israel. And it's not just special food. It's also special questions about the meal, which the youngest children ask. Scripture also says we do not live by bread alone, or even food alone, but by everything that comes from the mouth of God. At a Passover meal in Jerusalem, Jesus told his friends to remember him whenever they gather for a meal. He said, take this unleavened bread, this is my body, and take this cup of wine, This is my blood. It's a way of remembering, after he died, that the bread and the wine, which symbolizes his body and blood, would live on in his friends. That is, love would live on in his friends. Jesus can live in us when we love the way he did. Well, of all the teachings of Jesus that we've had trouble following for 2,000 years, like loving your enemies and doing good to those who hurt us. The one thing in which the church has been faithful is this practice of which he asked us to do of remembering him in breaking bread. As a church, we've celebrated Holy Communion weekly and daily for 2,000 years, more than 2,000 years. And we pray that when we continually fail in the hard requirements of Christianity, that our return to Holy Communion gives us strength and courage to try and try again. The practice began in the very early church as the followers of Jesus gathered each week to await the second coming. They ate a meal together, and it was sometimes called a love meal, the agape feast, and everyone brought food like a proto-potluck, They ate, they prayed, they sang hymns, and they awaited in expectation that Christ would be present and the beginning of a new age of the Holy Spirit would begin. Well, they were apparently confused to think the new age would come all at once. It seems to be coming very slowly, soul by soul in God's time. 
Is there something magical about these words, the words we say in communion and the food that we eat? No, it's not a magical rite. But the practice of gathering and coming forward does have power. That we eat the bread demonstrates that our relationship to God goes deeper than words. God is not far off, not remote, not disembodied, not impersonal, but available to us as necessary, as gut level as the food we eat. Two or three years ago, a woman named Sarah Miles came to Wyoming from San Francisco. She spoke and preached here. How many of you remember her? Good. She uh, wrote this book, Take This Bread, which is her story. She was raised with atheist parents. And it describes her experience of her first Holy Communion, how it changed her life and the life of the many people she has fed since through food pantries, at first in San Francisco and then in many other places. She writes, early one winter morning, when Katie, her daughter, was sleeping, I walked into St. Gregory's Episcopal Church in San Francisco. I had no earthly reason to be there. I had never heard a gospel reading. I had never said the Lord's Prayer. I was certainly not interested in becoming a Christian, or, as I thought rather less politely, a religious nut. But on other, on other long walks, I'd pass the beautiful building with its shingled steeples and plain windows, and this time I went in on an impulse with no more than a reporter's habitual curiosity. She had, had been a reporter in the jungles of Nicaragua for 10 years, and uh, she describes herself as a radical left-wing lesbian. She writes, the rotunda was flooded with slated morning light. A table, and I, I've been, have any of you been to the church, to St. Gregory's? No one here has? Well, it has, it's uh, built in the round, and high above this round is, is a mural of gold pictures of what she thought were unlikely saints, because they were not the typical saints. They were figures like Mahatma Gandhi, who was a Hindu, Rumi, a Muslim, Black Elk, an Oglala Sioux, many Jews and Christians like King David, whose story we heard so beautifully read in part this morning, Paul of Tarsus, Queen Elizabeth I, who was the founder of our Anglican communion, William Shakespeare, Francis of Assisi, Dante Alighieri, Charles Darwin, Elie Wiesel, John Muir, Sojourner Truth, Anne Frank, and more modern people like Mother Teresa, Thomas Merton, Cesar Chavez, Pope John XXIII, Abraham Joshua Heschel, my favorite rabbi, Malcolm X, Desmond Tutu, and singers like Ella Fitzgerald and John Coltrane. She knew she was in not your typical Christian church. She continues, 
I walked in, took a chair, and tried not to catch everyone's eye, anyone's eye. There were windows looking out on a hillside, covered in geraniums, and I could hear the birds squabbling outside. Then a man and a woman in long robes began chanting in harmony. I sang too, she wrote. It crossed my mind that I was being ridiculous. We sat down, stood up, sang, sat down, waited and listened, and stood up and sang. And it was all pretty peaceful and sort of interesting. Then a woman announced, Jesus invites everyone to this table. And we started moving up in dance-like steps into the rotunda. It had some dishes on it and a pottery goblet. And then we gathered around the table, and there was more singing and standing, and someone was putting a piece of freshly crumbled bread in my hand, saying, the body of Christ, and handing me the goblet of wine, saying, the blood of Christ. Then something outrageous and terrifying happened. Jesus happened to me. I can't explain my first communion. It made no sense. I was in tears and physically unbalanced. I felt as I had just stepped off a curb or been knocked over painlessly from behind. The disconnect between what I thought was happening, eating a piece of bread, and what I heard someone else saying was happening, that it was a piece of the body of Christ, patently untrue, or at best a metaphorical statement, and yet what I knew was happening. God, named Christ or Jesus, was real and in my mouth, utterly short-circuited my ability to do anything but sob. All the way home, shocked, I scrambled for explanations. Maybe I was hyper-suggestible. Being surrounded by believers had been enough to push me momentarily into accepting their superstitions. Probably my tears were just pent-up sadness accumulated after a long, hard decade and spilling out unsurprisingly because I was in a place where I could cry anonymously. The music, the movement, the light in the room had evoked feelings, and I'd been uplifted much as if I had seen, heard a glorious concert or seen a natural wonder. Yet that impossible word, Jesus, lodged in me like a crumb. I said it over and over to myself, as if repetition, a repetition would help me understand, but I had no idea what it meant. I didn't even know what to do with it but it was realer than any thought of mine or even any subjective emotion. It was as real as the actual taste of the bread and wine. And the word was indisputably in my body now, as if I'd swallowed a radioactive pellet that would outlive my own flesh. The rest of the book goes on to tell how Sarah's life was changed. She struggled to make sense of that Holy Communion experience and of her struggle to explain her new life to her atheist friends, her great insights into the true calling of the church, and she became, she became an integral member of that church and inspired them. She developed a ministry to feed hungry people and to include them in the church, and she was like a prophet to them because she was from outside and she 
She really got it, and she cared. The truth is that Holy Communion is only the beginning, a beginning, and it can't mean anything unless you let Jesus into your heart and learn every day a little more how to love yourself, your family, all the peoples of the earth, and the earth itself, and of course, God. We are invited today to hear this strange, here today, to this strange, irrational, mysterious rite. And any of you who are hungry for God are invited. This is not an Episcopal table, but God's table. It's unlikely that we will experience any sudden conversions like St. Paul on the road to Damascus or Sarah Miles at St. Gregory's in San Francisco. But let us open our hearts to the greater possibilities than we've imagined in taking the love of Jesus into our mouths and letting him be in our bodies, in every soul, cell of our bodies, in all of our blood, to remind us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. <laughs>